a podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave's X Media. I'm Christina Kahn. And I'm Leela Hilton. And this is Burn Before Reading. The podcast about shitterature. We're here to examine the terrible writing we did when we were younger. And talk about other cringy literary topics. As you may know, I eagerly started this podcast before it occurred to me to invite my beloved Leela into the fold. Oh, I forgive you. This episode was recorded long, long ago. And because of that, it may be in a format you're not familiar with. And it sadly does not even feature Leela, not even at all. So thanks for giving us room to be flexible while we get this show on the road. And you can look forward to things leveling out soon. This episode is still excellent and really fun. So enjoy the show. Thanks, guys. The World by Brooke Matherly, Cannon School, Concord, North Carolina, Grade 5. The world is made of land and water, once beautiful and clean, now polluted with technology. The water no longer shines. The land is no longer green. As our knowledge grows, worse grows the world. Things once living are extinct, and some are on the verge. We need to protect what God has given us to use. Do not be super high-tech, or in the end, we will lose. Would you believe it? You are listening to Burn Before Reading. I'm Christina Khan in Real Life and on Socials, and I am here to pet your hair as we gaze into the cringy past and take a look at that poem you wrote that would actually not go on to save the world. (laughs) Joining me today is the author herself, Brooke Matherly. Say hello to the listeners, Brooke. Hello, dear listeners. I am Brooke Matherly. I am absolutely thrilled to be here today, and I can't wait to see what my friends make of my fifth grade poem. (laughs) Here to support us in this endeavor is our beloved friend and poetry critic, Haley Simkis. Say hello to the listeners, Haley. Hello, listeners. Support might be a strong word for (laughs) the role I play here, but sure, (laughs) let's go with that. Critical support. The support you provide is critical, and it's also really critical. (laughs) Guys, welcome to the show. This is the first ever episode of Burma for Reading. I can't believe it. Wait, oh my God, how do we do a podcast? I don't know. I'm so excited. We've been talking about this show for actually like a really long time. Like, Brooke, you probably remember <laughs> that at one point this was your project. <laughs> yep, that would be before I had a real job and also a child. So sure, <laughs> my, yeah. my time ran out pretty quickly. Her time is running out. Yeah, we originally came up with this concept, like, I think pretty on in our podcast life. (laughs) I think, like, as soon as I launched the Restricted Section Maybe Movie Night Crew, uh, I had this idea for this podcast. The original name was The Cringe Cast, which I still stand by. That's a great name. But um, everyone has all of those social... It was actually impossible to to get any social media handles anywhere in the vicinity. So I actually employed our dear Haley here, the namer of things, to name the thing. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, 
We spent a really fun afternoon drinking at our local dive coming up. Oh, no. It it was actually Garden Grove. I'm so sorry, Garden Grove. (laughs) I thought we were at Home Sweet Home. (laughs) It's not divey at all. (laughs) We sat in a bougie. uh, Is it it a brewery? Or I guess it's a brewery. It is an urban microbrewery. Yeah, we sat in an urban microbrewery. Signer and winer also. And came up with dad jokes for, for puns that would work as names and then Christina presented a list to for of for other people to vote on, you know. There were some solid ones on there, but Burn Before Reading, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's got a ring to it and you can't tell me it doesn't now cuz it's too late. We got the <laughs> socials. I <laughs> uh, got the socials, got the domain name, so how about that? Ooh, buddy. That's what really matters. Yeah. Um, So I'm just really excited to be starting this project that's a little bit broader than my past uh, podcast projects on this network. I get to talk about more better things written by more better people. I'm glad that this counts as more and better things and people. (laughs) Uh, We'll probably sometimes be reading stuff written by bad people, but for now... This author can guarantee a good person uh, in her own way. <laughs> in her own way. Oh, From no. a certain point of view. A listener, if you've never heard me talk before on one of our other fabulous podcasts, which you should definitely check out, I am what is known as a polarizing figure in that people <laughs> either strongly dislike me or strongly like me upon first meeting. And that opinion Almost never changes. I am a very specific flavor of person. I feel like that is reflective of how you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Strong opinions, real hard to talk uh, talk around of those opinions. Yeah, yeah. A contrarian, one might say. One might say. Not contrarian, like, in a she shitty, like... She said contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> not like a devil's advocate kind of way. Like, I'm not just, like, arguing to argue. I just... Um, actually, it's, like, not even that contrarian. I have thoughts and opinions. And if I have reasoned myself into them, I want to reason you into them as well. (laughs) So for those who don't know, and for those who do, sorry, you're just going to hear the lore again. But for those who don't know, Haley, Brooke, and I have been very good friends since almost the moment we laid eyes on each other, which is truly incredible considering everything I know about you guys now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And generally what we're like as people. Generally what you're like as people, but we were, um, Brooke and Haley and I had all moved to the Richmond area within the previous like three months. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Which is just like the wildest timing. The three of us worked for a local small press, not Wildling Press, the one, the press predecessor to that, that, um, many of us worked at. And, um, just by what I would consider to be a fluke of, of timing it was just timing really i don't know i've said that the only reason i got the paying job Haley, is because i'll answer the phone and you won't and Mm -hmm. i think that's why you got the unpaid internship and i got the 14 dollar an hour desk job well it was also because you were working pr and there has never been a person on this earth or any other planet i don't think who is less suited to pr than me well uh, before i started working there i had zero qualifications in that department you have the personality for it that's the thing and would you believe it i'm still doing pr to this very day but anyway so the three of us were schlepped into this tiny room with 
three of our other very good friends, Grace, Mary Payton, Mary Clay. Oh, and Mike Hardison. Whatever. It doesn't matter. These names are meaningless unless they're not. Haha. <laughs> Do you know the lore? But um, Haley said something about Lord of the Rings or something. And then if the can, rest was history. I can tell you exactly <laughs> what it was if you won. She's like this. It, Go on. Uh, somebody had, I think it was on the phone, um, had referred to the company oh, by like right. one of its many wrong names, which <laughs> happened to be a Lord of the Rings reference. Um, and so you were sitting there like, Brandy Wine, what is this? Lord of the Rings? And I was like, I've been thinking that this entire time because it's I'd been there like a, like a month before you got there or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You were just yeah. waiting for your nerds to arrive. I was. And arrive they did. Brooke started a, week, a month after me. Brooke was like, you're my boss. You're supposed to train me. And I was like, oh, I don't. I don't know anything. <laughs> Grace led us all led us all through that. But anyway, so needless to say, me, Brooke, and Haley have been talking about book shit for quite some time and writing and the like. Brooke, I would love to hear what your personal writing history is. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So um, I had two degrees I was working on in college. I graduated with one of them. Um, but that was an English degree. And then I was also working on a theater degree. So the theater degree, I did a lot of academic writing for. I was looking at theater history. So I have a a robust background in academic writing and also playwriting. I did a lot of playwriting, um, specifically comedic playwriting, which I didn't want to do, but it was what I was better at. I wanted to write very deeply felt dramas and I was never good at it. A little too funny. That sucks. I then capitalized on the little too funny by writing a bunch of stand-up comedy and performing that. I seen it one time. Was funny. Thank Can't you. Confirm. I'm so glad. I, I'm so glad I performed comedy exactly once for you guys so that you know that my past stories of me being like, yeah, I did stand-up comedy aren't just me like totally bullshitting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was at one point like pretty funny and pretty good at it. I was there. I saw her. <laughs> I saw her doing it. <laughs> It's in the record. <laughs> this poem is published. Uh, so it's my only published creative writing work. Yeah, we're looking at a photograph of the poem right now on page 243 of something. Of a celebration of young poets, 2002 edition. Okay, so was this like a regional? Because on this one page, I'm seeing children from both North and South Carolina. That is because it is the North and South Carolina regional edition of (laughs) Mm. A Celebration of Young Poets. Um, Okay, great. So this is my only published creative work. Um, I do have other published writing, but it is theater critique. So I did write for a um, uh, art critique uh, magazine in New Zealand. Um, and, uh, I reviewed theater, live theater during, uh, Fringe Festival there, uh, in Wellington, New Zealand. So that is my only other published work. Cool. Um, but I have done formal theater critique and then... What a portfolio. Yeah. And then technically the way that performing arts works is if it has been performed at least once, it is considered both published and copyrighted as of the performance date. Oh, shit. So technically all of my stand-up is also published and copyrighted. Oh, whoa. Published. There we go. Stand-up comedian. That's incredible. Um, That is the way that the performing arts world works uh, to prevent people stealing things that they see other people say, assuming that it disappears into the ether. So that's my writing background. It's a lot of performance-based writing. 
I never really attempted poetry again. Oh, and I used to write a lot of songs uh, as a kid. This coincided with the period of my life where I wrote a lot of songs and a lot of poetry. <laughs> that was pretty okay. much all I wrote during this period. Did you play an instrument or were you writing songs for the band you would one day obtain? <laughs> I was writing songs for the band I would one day obtain. Been there, girl. Um, I did sing. Okay. So I was writing songs that I could <laughs> sing and explain to people but had no arrangements for. Could you sing well or was it just kind of like my band, which I couldn't sing well? No, I was actually really good. Um, okay. When I was going to college, I was actually auditioning for musical theater programs. So I I was like a big old theater nerd growing up and specifically musical theater. Um, I also did acapella. Uh, I am a really, really good alto too. So I have a nice deep voice, uh, especially singing voice. And I can hit those like the bassiest bass lines that they write <laughs> for women, which made me great for acapella. <laughs> um, wow. I don't I only know what some of those words mean, but that's fine. You're going to bring one of your songs on the show one day and sing it for us. Oh, gladly. Would love to. Oh, hell yeah. You don't happen to have a 9-11 song, do you? I do not have 9-11 songs. Well, more than one person that you're I hate being reminded of that song. fact. Everybody get ready for the 9-11 episode. Yo, I believe it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this specifically. You said that this was the poetry and music era of your life. This one, I noticed, doesn't rhyme. And to me, when I was in grade five, I don't think I was uh, cerebral enough about poetry to have attempted a non-rhyme. It it is supposed to lightly rhyme. It's just that I don't think I was great at rhyming. Okay, so we got clean and green, and also technology, which is kind of a what? that rhymes with what? Clean. Hmm. Okay, and then we got shines rhyming with world. Uh, no. Like I think, but like part of the issue with figuring out what what rhyme scheme is here is that like the poem isn't necessarily formatted so that each line ends on the rhyming word, which is like usually how it goes. But also like, I don't think there's anything that we could like, I'm not sure we could like graph um. the, the rhyme, like a B a B or anything like that. Like, I'm not sure there's anything regular to it. Now, Haley, you just brought up an interesting point, which when I said that I was going to do this poem, I told you I was going to tell you a story live on this podcast to get you your reactions. Oh, yay. You mentioned that you almost have to say it out loud, correct? To hear mm. some of the inherent rhyme scheme of the poem. I'll start. Uh, before you go any further, I want to say I disagree with that. I think that out loud, I did not hear the rhyme. So, OK, now carry on with your story. <laughs> uh, so this poem was submitted as part of a competition within my school. And the winners got to submit to the Celebration of Young Poets. And then two of us were selected for the book from the compilers of the anthology. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's per, per grade, of course. So <laughs> the winners had to then read uh, their poems aloud in front of a gathered assembly of all middle schoolers. Traditionally, the most forgiving to people trying to recite their own poems aloud in an auditorium. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. Very so, forgiving. Right, oh, no. right. Yeah. Um, here's the other thing. Remember how we started out with an anecdote about how we all love Lord of the Rings? 
Yes. Would you believe I got on stage and tried to do this in a Galadriel voice from the opening segment of Lord of the Rings? Because that's what inspired this poem. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Can you give us a little taste of what that might have sounded like? I got on stage and I shit you not went, the world is made of land and water. (laughs) Once beautiful and clean. Now polluted with technology. Oh my God. The water no longer shines. The land no longer green. Oh, God. This is not even the first time I've talked about Galadriel today because (laughs) I was earlier today talking about movie prologues and about when you do and when you don't need them. Galadriel, thanks, babe. I needed that prologue. What are we doing? (laughs) So this was based on the opening prologue of The Fellowship of the Ring, which I had watched, I think, four months prior. And I read this in front of my entire school in a Galadriel impersonation. It reminds me of Zelda in the cutscenes of Tears of the Kingdom. She's like, Link. Witness the blood moons rise. <laughs> the world is made of land and water. <laughs> okay, that's actually really good. Thank you. So this made me instantly, as you can imagine, very popular in middle school. I uh, don't think I ever recovered from this in terms of being cool uh in general it also made me undateable for quite a few years <laughs> okay i do have some follow-up questions about your presentation mm. <clears throat> to canon school it wasn't called canon middle school uh no canon school is a pre-k through 12th grade private school in north carolina oh right you were one of those yeah and i was actually at canon school from second grade all the way through 12th grade so i attended that school for 11 years okay Oh, there's no uh, escape. Follow-up questions. So you pre- you presented this to approximately how many students? Uh, like how many people in a grade at this school? Mm, not that many. I probably presented this to around 150 or so kids. So fifth grade through eighth grade was our middle school. Okay, heard. And so what kind of, when you, when you were in the middle of reading it and your Galadriel voice, do you remember what kind of looks you were getting back? Like when you looked into the audience, what were they doing? Here's the embarrassing double down on this. I didn't have a lot of friends my age, but I did respect a good many of my teachers and my teachers were cringing <sighs> when I looked out Brooke. into the audience. Brooke. My oh, teachers man. were visibly trying to look supportive. Dude, the fact that you prefer your teachers to your peers is the most lawful evil thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. (laughs) That is my alignment, so. Jesus Christ. You've always been this way. Okay, so then you got to the end of it, which is, I would say, maybe not the strongest grammatically. Nope. In terms of like a dismount, and you looked out and like, were th- did they clap? No, did, I looked did they out laugh? to silence. Dead silence. That the teachers had to prompt applause <laughs> for. Remember, guys? Yep. Remember? Yep. We clap for our friends. <laughs> clap for our friends. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so what, give us an energy. Grade five Brooke, what was she wearing? What What did she look like? What was her hair doing? Oh. How tall was she? Oh, no. Okay. Um, 
Uh, so I was, uh, I guess, tall for my age, but not actually tall. I think I was like 5'2 already, which made me taller than Incredible. most fifth graders. <laughs> Incredible. But not tall, actually. <laughs> sure. Okay. Right? I would pick up three more inches and stop forever. Yeah, um, it's there is like a weird period, like right around fifth grade, where like a couple of the girls just shoot up and mm-hmm. like they're the only ones that do. And then like Hi. everybody else just kind of slowly surpasses them over the next five years. Hey, hi, it's me. Christina, you I've been this tall bastard. since fifth grade, <laughs> since fifth grade. Oh. No, probably since like seventh grade, but I've been this tall. I've dated so many five, five dudes since I've been this tall. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was, I was like tall, but not actually tall. I was like the most awkward possible body type because I, as an adult, have very large breasts, like insanely large. Can confirm they're insane. They're real and they're spectacular. <laughs> they're they're out of all they're out of control. Like they take up they're a spectacle. <laughs> a third of my body, basically. Um the and the breastfeeding thing has only added to their intrigue. Yes, it's made <laughs> them much personally. larger and weepier. So um <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> not the weeping. <laughs> is this the wrong energy to start this podcast with? No, I think it's exactly no, right. I think I you're think doing great. Yeah, I actually. Right. Um, this is exactly right. this is exactly what Tina wanted. But so anyhow, yeah. in, in fifth grade, I already had C-cup breasts, which is uh, not great for a fifth grader. Mm. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, when all the boys are eye level with them. I wanted to hide them so badly. So I would wear almost exclusively polo shirts and like... That Extre- doesn't hide boobs. Extremely tight sports bras. Because I thought that the boxiness of the polo shirt kind of just made me look generally wide instead of just wide up top. And I felt very uncomfortable with bras that like separated them at all because I didn't want to look like I had boobs. So I preferred to look like I had just like one bar mono boob like a sim. <laughs> okay. Were we wearing different kinds of polos? Because my polos were toit. In fifth grade, my polos were toit. Um, these weren't like the like stretchy Abercrombie style polos. These were like polo Ralph Lauren, like very restrictive fabric polos. So they would kind of compress my chest down more. Okay. Different kinds of polos. Yeah. Very stiff my, fabric. My polos were doing everything they could to accentuate my breasts and it was not enough. And then um, and I would keep them buttoned all the way up because I thought that helped as well. Um, They'll never know. They'll never know what's behind these buttons. And then additionally, my like go to like nice outfit, I would pair that with a jean skirt. Sure. And I only had like one jean skirt that was long enough for my school dress code. (laughs) Okay. So okay, so it was a long jeans. This is a, this is a very 2002 story. Yeah, uh, the polo and the jean skirt combo is just really a, a time and a place. Okay, so you weren't giving like camp rock energy. Yes, <laughs> you were giving. Yeah, I don't even know what you were giving. You were giving 2002 um, energy. Um. There's like a few more pieces of context, one of which is that I hadn't started shaving yet. So I had very hairy legs and I was embarrassed about it, but still insisted on the jean skirt. 
Which is funny because I, I completely turned a corner on that. As an adult, I don't shave at all. Right. It, and it's noticeable and fierce. Yeah. I, I just don't care. Would you believe that there is a Bob's Burgers episode about the I want to wear a skirt, but my legs are hairy conundrum? Tina, what, what's wrong? They killed my friendly leg hairs. Um, oh. Well, now it's now it's officially a DS. <laughs> Fucking God damn it. What's. Deus Ex Media? Don't, don't tell Deus, me. Uh, <laughs> now it's definitely a Deus Ex Media podcast because Tina has compared something that someone mentioned to Bob's Burgers. Now it's definitely a Deus Ex Media podcast because someone forgot the name of what we're all doing here. And we mentioned Lord of the Rings and boobs. We're good. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, we're hit, We're doing great. We're hitting all the fucking... We're hitting all the targets. What else do we need to round it out? Like... Maybe we should visit a Wikipedia page or maybe like a cat should interrupt something. You're going to have to do the cat to really drive it home. I could send you a cat. I will Mm. say as a final piece of context, I have very thin hair and I hadn't figured out how to care for it yet. Oh, the hair situation in middle school is the worst. My hair was the worst in middle school. So I was still showering at night at this point. And like, that is not a thing I can get away with. I must wash my hair in the morning every day. Um, because otherwise it just gets greasy and sticks to my head. Um, so at this point we are also looking at greasy stuck to my head hair. Okay. It's giving Severus Snape. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. With like a strong middle part, which the youths might think is cool now, but was not cool back then. We had transitioned to side parts and I had not kept up. God damn it, Brooke. You're such a fucking nerd. Okay. I want to turn and look at the work a little bit. This one's so short that I do think perhaps we'll just go through and roast it line by line. Starting at the beginning, the world is made of land and water. Well spotted. <laughs> there's there's this comedy music group. I don't know if they're still together called the Arrogant Worms that I was actually very into around this same age. And okay. they have a song called uh, Rocks and Trees, and it's about how great Canada is. And the like, most of the song is just them going like, we've, we've got, got rocks and trees and trees and rocks and rocks and trees and trees and rocks and rocks and trees and trees and I actually get it. And it goes like for a little longer and then and water. Yeah, that's that's the end. Yeah. So this bitch knows her geography. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Once, once beautiful and clean. I, it's classic. I, I identify with that line. You're like, I'm. I've noticed something. Yeah. I. This is my <laughs> environmental awakening, which I now have a master's degree in sustainable tourism. So this good is, job, girl. This is actually a, an entry point for me into being like, I don't know that we're doing great here as a yeah. species. <laughs> So the opening of this podcast, when I said that this poem did not go on to save the world, there's actually still hope because it ha- you've escalated this poem's sentiments into a career. Uh, yeah, except I do work for a technology company, so I'm kind of straddling oh, no. a line here. <laughs> now polluted with technology. Yeah. <laughs> You've okay. become that which you swore to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> the water no longer shines. The land is no longer green. I'm so sorry, but this is giving straight up Legend of Zelda because it's like an idyllic pastoral countryside. 
And then it's like, and the machines are the villains. And they're just like these ancient robots wandering. And sometimes they make goop and you need to go get clean water to clean Mm. it up. Sometimes they shoot lasers at stuff, as I understand. So the water note, like they they fuck (laughs) up the water, they fuck up the land. It's no longer green. This poem's about Zelda is what I'm hearing. (laughs) It's what I'm hearing. It's worth noting here that like, I don't think I'd ever actually seen a pastoral landscape outside of maybe like a movie. Like I lived in suburban Charlotte, like the suburban area outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, sure. My family was not outdoorsy. I did participate in Girl Scouts and that was the very first time in my life I ever went camping. Mm -hmm. So it's also possible that I went outside for the first time in my life sometime around when this poem was written. (laughs) Oh my god, there's a whole world out here. Would you look at that? Hang on a minute. This place is a mess. What were you doing before I got here? It does just really smack of a not... Uh, an incomplete understanding of the issue when you're like, darn this technology these yeah. days. <laughs> I think the, the next line really heightens that of like, as our knowledge grows, worse grows the world. That's not, the knowledge ain't the problem. It's giving raised in the church. I was not super raised in the church, actually. Okay, but you mentioned That's, God in two lines. Yeah, just yeah, it's uh, like when you live, when you live in the deep south, Speaking, okay, here, no, we're gonna, we're gonna hit another target right here, Alabama. When I lived in Alabama, um, <laughs> we didn't go to church even once when we lived there, but it's still, it's, it's there. pervasive. It gets to you. On the page that this poem is on in Celebration of Young Poets, only two other poems on that page don't mention God. Wow, that's... How many poems are on the page? At least four from the photograph. It, it's see. it's a few more than that. Like like the page that I'm looking at now has probably like the the two pages next to each other. Two page spread has probably about twenty poems on oh, it because okay. they're short, right? They're written by children. Okay, so this is pretty zoomed in. Yes, this is zoomed in. Okay, gotcha. Um, so they're probably about twenty poems, and they're like, if you count both pages, maybe like looks like five or so just from a quick scan don't mention god all the other ones mention god why the hell write a poem if it's not in service to god i mean it's more just that like the general culture of living in north and south carolina especially in the early 2000s was very like religiously steeped regardless of how much time you spend a setting thing not like a character thing but it's i mean it is undeniably giving like Garden of Eden as the nar- the knowledge makes things worse instead of better. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I, wrong. I think I thought of progress as not including sustainability in any real way. Right. Um, yeah. Because kids don't know about things. Right. And they I don't mean, know the nuances of technology. And well, and to tie it into this podcast, this is immediately post 9-11 where it's just like. The, the planes are literally killing us. Yeah. Um, it, the planes, it's, it, it's the planes fault. <laughs> it was also like, you know, the green movement like had kind of started at that point, but it wasn't, it wasn't something companies like made a point of because they no, considered it, was, it advantageous to make a point of it. Like they hadn't yeah. even started pretending yet. Yeah. Well, and I also think it was just a little too early for companies to be able to rely on like 
the internet and other digital replacements for like real for like paper you know like like sure like email existed back then yeah. but like beyond that it like really was i think a lot harder for to go paperless or like whatever yeah, the, yeah like the 90s were like an extension of like everything everything technologically and like chemically gross about the 80s the 90s did like a more fun and wacky version. And like, this is us kind of coming right off the end of that into the this 2000s. This is 2002. This is when people they, starting to give a shit. This was peak hit clips era. That's the technology we're working with mm. here. Well, you also have to remember that I'm going to like a, uh, like a fairly expensive to attend private school in the South. So like, me and my that show peers. is probably homogenous. Well, yeah, it was, and like everybody's parents were some flavor of like business people. You know what I yep. mean? Like they were business. like housing developers and stuff. You know, they weren't people that cared. And if you like, I remember I had to fight with my parents to like start recycling. Wow, they didn't just do that in your neighborhood. They, they introduced it. I remember them introducing recycling. And my parents were like, that sounds like a lot of effort. Why not just throw everything away? And I had learned about recycling at school. And I was like, no, I really want to do this. And they were like, okay, but you are responsible for making sure the family recycles, right? <laughs> okay, a couple notes. One, good for you. Two, they probably should have helped with that chore. <laughs> Three, in the end, it didn't even matter because our re recycling system is collapsing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't I? We don't it, need to talk about recycling. <laughs> we don't have time to unpack all of that. Next line: Things once living are extinct, and some are on the verge. So I remember exactly why that line is in there, and that is because our science teacher had um, assigned us a project to write about a uh, critically endangered species, which is when I first realized that critically endangered species existed. <laughs> Oh. Right. Okay. And um, I picked a warthog because I felt bad. I thought that no one was fighting for them like the pandas because they were ugly. <laughs> and their farts stink up the whole watering hole. Yeah. <laughs> so. And the friends never stood downwind. <laughs> but, you know, like I had recently learned that animals could be and then not be. Like that was mind blowing to me. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. No, I... I was the kind of kid who grew up watching uh, Animal Planet for fun. Like that was, I got one hour of TV a day and that was what I chose to do with it. Um, so I can't imagine finding that out at like age 10, 11. That actually sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surrounded, again, wasn't surrounded by nature. So I knew of like cats, dogs, birds, and then things I had seen or read about in books. Yeah, I think I learned about a. Uh, like ex what am i trying to say endangered i think I, wait, endangered i was like extinctured extinctured <laughs> i think i learned about endangered the the fact that an animal becomes endangered and then becomes extinct that process i definitely learned about that after the first ice age movie came out and i learned about the dodos well okay so i knew about the dodos but i was like i i understood the concept of mass extinction but not micro extinction i definitely thought that extinction was something that had happened to animals in the past I didn't think that it was something that just like slowly happened because we ate away at someone's habitat. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing I, I recognized. Yeah, I feel you. Mm. But now we're recognizing it and we're going to save those fucking warthogs. Yeah. 
Again, very earnest, very sweet. The things once living are extinct and some are on the verge. It's like, good job, sweetie. They are. <laughs> I'm not sure we- what verge was supposed to rhyme with, if anything, but uh, yeah. verge, you was- know, it's a good word. I, I shit you not. I think verge was supposed to rhyme with world. I think it was worse grows the world summer on the verge world verge. I that's all I got. That's the only answer I'll accept because the things once living are extinct and some are on the verge is one of those horrible poem sentences where it's like, I would rather this rhyme than make sense grammatically. But also I'm just going to throw this out there. Something being on the verge is kind of complex vocabulary for a fifth grader. No, no, really? it's like, no, no, it's good. It's good that you dropped it in. It's I'm just, just going to defend that as a no, moment of intelligence in this. It, no, poem. If it, like f- <laughs> fifth grade, when you know like a couple of good vocab words, like you you pepper them into conversation wherever you can. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. That you ever read a book and you're like, I know you just learned this word before you wrote this book, yes. <laughs> girl. Come on. Like, oh my god, in one of the, I think it's the Blood of Elves, one, uh, one of the Witcher books, Sean started trying to read it, and he was like, it's too boring, I can't get through it. So I picked it up, and I read the first 10 pages, and I shit you not, the author used the word comparisoned like 30 times. It was like twice a paragraph. Comparisoned, you know, when a horse is wearing clothes and flags, <laughs> he is comparisoned. <laughs> I wonder if that's not a translation thing, though, because those were originally I think it is Polish. a translation thing. I think it is a translation thing. You're totally right about that. But also the translator should have made a different choice. <laughs> I think the tr- I think the translator was like, what's the translation of this? Looked it up. and was like comparison. I learned something new today. And then we all had to fucking learn something. <laughs> I've new been today. wondering what that was called my entire life. And I didn't know what Bro, words to use to dude, search. Horse, horse wearing clothes. It doesn't have to be that fancy. It's kind of <laughs> nice when you learn a word that you didn't know. You didn't know there was a word for, though. You also, know? if you look up a horse wearing clothes, you're going to see a bunch of people fighting about how a horse would wear <laughs> pants. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in summary, I cannot recommend in good faith the Witcher book series, but other people do. So we need to protect what God has given to us, now, given us to use. So this oh, is important so sorry. because okay. it belies the the wider truth of everything I've been saying of like, this is someone who believes that God provides the world to people for extractive purposes. And it is our job to protect God's creation to continue those extractive purposes. Dude, it's like, uh, Haley, it's like that book Ishmael I made you read when they were talking about um, the myth of human creation. And Homeboy's like, it's not a myth. What are you talking about? It's like, tell me the myth. And it's like, oh, we started with these other species. It was like with Monkey Town. Then we had these other species that I'm not going to say because I don't know what I'm talking about. And then then humans. We're the pinnacle of evolution. Yeah. And the other guy's like, oh, the... So the myth is that you guys are the end, right? Like, that's not real. It's like, this is the myth. It's like, this is our world. And it's like, no, you belong to it. It's a myth. Like, the thing that kills me about, like, this mentality, because, like, again, we've been talking about, like, the mentality of the Deep South in, like, the early 2000s. And, like, this is very emblematic of that. And, like... The thing that kills me about people who really do, like, see the world this way, like, as adults, is that you're still not protecting what God has given you to use. Like, you're just, like, 
you believed that the world was given to you as like this beautiful gift to, you know, sustain you. And you're just, you're just not gonna, not gonna sustain it. You're just gonna, okay, all right, cool. Well, this also speaks to kind of what you were saying with like early sustainability movements. Well, sustainability wasn't even a concept yet. It was really environmentalism, right? Mm, Because it was, and this poem, I will say, speaks to that, right? It's the us v. the world, technology v. nature. The modern concept of sustainability is finding ways to live and advance uh, the betterment of humanity within boundaries that allow us to continue doing so uh, in perpetuity, right? That's the concept of sustainability. There is no, you can't, there is only find a way to basically live within your means on an ecological level. The environmentalism movement, which was kind of what was going on at this time, had much more to do with, you know, we are killing nature. I have a degree in sustainability. I'm going to tell you the the world will be fine. It's violently rejecting yeah. the presence of human life, but like, yeah. like we can die and the world the will myth. be here. We're the myth. Oh my God, we are the myth. We're going to end up like the Matrix. Like the world is going to be a-okay. Like the dinosaurs used to full on populate this bitch and they all died. The world went through like a cataclysmic shift in weather and makeup and land And then everything changed when the meteor attacked. I mean, basically. And now we're just the next people to inhabit it. So- you know, the early myth of environmentalism being like, we have to protect the earth. Like, the earth is fine. We got to protect ourselves. <laughs> yeah, our longevity. Yeah. yeah. Like, we've got to protect ourselves by protecting the earth from our bullshit. By yeah. having less bullshit. Yes. Yeah. I think I think it's there. there's a non-zero amount of protection. For example, National Park Service, that's protecting what God has given us. <laughs> Lots of quotes about God if you go into one of those visitor centers. Yeah, that's because of the God early... and democracy. Yeah, mm. the founding fathers love God and democracy. Early Muir. By the way, if you think that Muir is really cool, do not read his writing. <laughs> he is. Sure. Done. Real racist. Are, I, are, I already haven't read it. <laughs> You're killing this. <laughs> Last line. Do not be super high tech. Yep. Or in the end, we will lose. Yeah. Oh, the, just oh, just like in the Matrix. Just yeah, like in the Matrix. The meter on this line is so fucked. <laughs> it, it hurts me, actually. There's not much to critique about this in terms of, like, poetry. Because it's just... there. There is none of, like, the classic, like, symbolism, metaphor, alliteration. And I would argue also not rhyme. <laughs> it's, like, just kind of, like, saying... It's, like, guys, I took a look around and I realized that humans might be bad for nature. <laughs> like, we're not <laughs> great. So we should hmm. change that po- poem signed Brooke Matherly. <laughs> Again, I blame it on technology, which... <laughs> Okay, do not be super high tech. Uh, Definitely this started out as don't be. And my teacher, my English teacher at the time had like... Don't tell me. She was one of those people that was like, well, contractions are informal. No, no. And it it ruins the meter of the line for what it's worth. For Mm -hmm. A draconian teacher who nitpicks shit for propriety and like no better reason, like fuck that shit. 
fuck that shit. It's the same thing. She was like the first person to ever be like, you can't start a sentence with a contraction. And I was like, why not? Uh, I've never heard that. I was like, oh my God, what's a sentence that starts with a contraction? Ain't never happened to me. <laughs> Ain't um, nothing. <laughs> I Do not be super high tech. Oh, sorry, okay. not a contraction. What am I thinking? Conjunction, that's the word. No, it is a contraction. No, it can Don't? No, I'm saying, well, she thought the contractions were informal, but she also was like the person to be like, well, you can't start a sentence with but because that's improper, like a conjunction. People say prepositions. Don't start a sentence with a preposition. No, don't end a sentence with a preposition. Don't start it with a conjunction. I'm wrong. You know why? Because all these rules are stupid and made up and don't matter. We're on on a writing podcast. (laughs) No, but it's it's the same thing. Like she she was the one that was like, you can't end it with a preposition. And I'm like, why? And Watch she's like, me, bitch. Because it's the start of a phrase. So anyhow, there were definitely, like, there were things about this poem that, like, I know she tried to edit to make it Obser- proper Observer English. chain. What's the observer effect? This poem has been observed. Mm. Not in, it's, like, not an edit- editor's effect because, like, an editor, a true poetry editor could have, like, improved upon this. This was, like, a copy edit. Uh, yeah, like, uh, so much of writing good poetry is knowing when it's a good time to break a rule. Yeah, and that's why I don't edit poetry because I don't understand it and I when I'm editing can't break any rules. So the uh the other the other thing with this teacher was very into propriety. She uh led the etiquette club which I attended uh... because etiquette we're in the south, remember deep south. So there's an etiquette club and I did attend the etiquette club. My brother did etiquette. I did not. My personality will get me through anything, well, even if I'm acting a little rude. There's etiquette and there's also cotillion. I did both. Oh, my God. My brother did both. Uh-huh. And then um, one of the things she taught us in etiquette club was, like, how to apply makeup properly, which was a hilarious. She was like, she, you don't want to apply uh, blush too high up your cheek because it makes you look um, like a, quote, improper lady and like oh my god that's so funny because i don't wear blush at all but the last time Layla did my makeup she we did blush all the way up my cheek it I mean, was like i i'm an improper bitch that's the style now <laughs> all i can think of is like this fucking youtube video that floated around just it, the whole thing was a meme it got to a point you could see a screenshot of it it's just called how to apply makeup in a god honoring way yeah <laughs> that same this is the energy we're going in with mm-hmm. man brooke i learned how to do makeup in my girl scouts like i'm so grumpy that you had a good girl scouts experience because mine was so fucking whack yeah we, can't we even did do begin. like hiking and camping it's the only reason i know how to be outdoors have I told you about my one camping Girl Scout story? The one time we went camping and there was a tornado warning in the middle of the night and the, and the what do you call them? Teachers? Troop leaders freaked out so badly. They were screaming, rousing seven-year-old girls by shrieking in the night, <laughs> told us to abandon all our belongings, put us in the car, dropped us off on our stoops at like 3 a.m. My friend Anna was so scared she barfed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was a bit of a barfer, though. I don't think that was the only time she barfed in front of people. <laughs> Wait, now that I'm thinking about it, Anna totally barfed in gym class, too. Hmm. Put her on blast, why don't you? She's just a barfer. No one will know who it is because I've had three best friends named Anna, and none of them have overlapped with each other. <laughs> My life is so long. I also just, like, do not be super high tech because tell me, 
10-year-old Brooke, wh- what's the cutoff there? Can I still listen to my hit clips? No, what's, yeah. What's super high tech? What is what is it exactly that's exacting this cost? I must have world? just learned about e-waste as a concept. Like, that's surely what mm-hmm, occurred mm-hmm. here. Because that was a big talking point because people started to have, you know, personal electronic devices. Yeah. And, like, back in these days, it was, like, a giant laptop. Yeah. yeah like, like or laptop. like right. a giant cell phone. Yeah. Well, like there was there were more individual pieces of technology because everything wasn't yeah. all integrated with each other. So like if you had a TV, like that was the TV and you're gonna have it for a while. And like it was things were just getting to a point like around this time where like people were just considering that stuff disposable like yeah. oh it's yeah. the newest model of combined cd tape deck radio i gotta get this fuck my old tape deck i do know that probably around this time i had things that were like battery powered and i would like be like oh the batteries are dead and my parents would be like you absolutely cannot put that in our trash bag and i was like what? right it was like <laughs> the not? dawn of technology but like nobody understood anything about technology yeah yet. like it was like ev- because I remember, my I don't know if you, this is exactly what you're describing, but looking back, my parents definitely had, like, a deep misunderstanding of and therefore fear of, like, all technology. Like, they didn't know how it worked. They didn't know what to do with it. Therefore, they were afraid. <laughs> they were really afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents weren't, like, super afraid of technology, but, like, I think it was just one of those things where, like, they were afraid of us having technology. Yeah. I wasn't allowed... I had parental controls until I graduated high school. I was only allowed to go on AOL.com and AmericanGirl.com until I was fucking 18. Yeah. We, I mean, we definitely had tight parental controls, but also like we, my family never owned a, like a gaming system at all. Mm-hmm. Me neither. Right. Like we were, we eventually were able to get like Game Boys, but we were only a lot, we had like Pokemon and then like Barbie. Nice. Yeah. See, like, I didn't have a lot of that stuff, but, like, it was because we couldn't afford it. So, like, it was just not an option. So, like, my parents were kind of kind of environmentally friendly, but, like, in the, no, we're not just going to get that, what are you talking about, are you insane <laughs> kind people, of way. Yeah. The way that poor people are environmentally <laughs> the, friendly. The way the poors do it. <laughs> Before we wrap this up, Haley, do you have any final notes about the poem itself? Um... I do like that despite not being raised in the church, you still mentioned God because I feel like that was Baby Brooks, uh, like Baby's first Machiavellian manipulation of a contest. Like, (laughs) like, all right, well, I I can try not to mention God in this, but like most of the winning poems are going to mention God, so... I might as well pander to the masses <laughs> is what I assume was happening there. <laughs> you're you're right. That's what it looks like to me. Uh, and also the whole vibe of this poem. It's like, how could how can we not pick her? She's so sweet and earnest. Yeah. I, I mean, this poem, I see how I grew out of this poem. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think <laughs> we see origin. it as well. This was your superhero origin story. Yeah, I don't know about that. But I mean, it is one of those things where it's like, I, I don't think this is disingenuous to who I was at the time or who I ended up becoming. Like, I see 
one of the reasons I I wanted to talk about this poem is because I felt like this is a lot of the early threads of who I ended up becoming. You know, I love I mean? that. Like this was yeah. As you've mentioned, this poem is just awareness. Like, it's just yeah. me finally, like, looking at my hand and being like, there are fingers here. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> which which babies literally do that, and it's very funny. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know. This, is, this, is, this poem is raw awareness, but it's awareness of things that actually did stick with me and have really shaped how I matured and who I became and what I care about now. I love that for you. Mm, Yeah. I feel the same way looking back on some of my writing where I'm like, I stand by my original sentiment. The execution, not my favorite. Yeah. But I do stand by the original sentiment. (laughs) The original sentiment of we might be fucking this up. We should be more careful about the way that we interact with our world. I I stand by. Stand by. That's a good one. That's a good one. (laughs) All right. Guys, do we think this poem was horny, sad, or just plain bad? Hmm. I would go with sad. Sad. I would go with just plain bad. Like <laughs> I would go with ju- I would go just plain bad as well. I mean, it is bad. Uh, it, like I won't argue that point, but <laughs> I think there's a sadness to it because, like, like you just said, Tino, with babies will look at their hand and be like, "Holy shit, this is attached to me." And I think being about like fifth grade age is the same thing on a larger scale. It's looking around at the world outside of what you've experienced so far and being like, wait, wait a goddamn minute. All of this is operating independently of me and I don't care for some of the things y'all have been up to. Yeah. And like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's so funny and accurate. And like, this oh is, my God. this is, just baby Brooke becoming aware of the world around her and expressing displeasure in the most, you know, formal way she could think of doing it, which at the time was Galadriel. (laughs) (laughs) But like, there's genuine sorrow there. Yeah. She's making some kind of declaration. She's like, I have a stance. Like I have something to say here. (laughs) And I still be saying it. Like I, yeah. Yeah, I stay she's still saying, saying that. People say that you can still hear her saying this to this very day. Like you you looked at the way that things were going with the environment and you compared it to Galadriel talking about like, so anyway, we live in this post-apocalyptic fantasy world. Here's how everything oh got fucked up. Brooke I think was like, that's... I'm not trying to be Galadriel someday. I don't want to be post-apocalyptic. And also I kind of vibe with what Tolkien was on about, like, why mm-hmm. not be hobbits? Why not be hobbits? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for giving this to us to be our first sacrifice to the podcast. I was so thrilled to sacrificially lay my first (laughs) published work at your feet. I can't wait to hear some more of what you wrote, especially those songs. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Haley, thank you for your witticisms and your critique and your beautiful face and your friendship. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, I'm always down for witticisms. And thank you for actually standing up for me like a good portion of this podcast. (laughs) You're very welcome. Yeah, that's not what I asked for, but that's fine. (laughs) Do do you guys want to plug your socials? Yeah. If you are interested in my environmental journey as an adult, um, I got really into going to national parks as an adult human being, and I'm still doing that. Um, So you can find me on Instagram at Passion for Parks. I post a lot of pictures from my park journeys. 
Um, so check me out there and uh, say hey. Awesome. Haley, do you want to plug any socials? Not currently, no. All right. This podcast was created by me, Christina Kahn. Hosted and produced by Christina Kahn and me, Leela Hilton. Follow me online at Christina Kahn and pre-order my book, Indie Book Publishing from Start to Finish, coming from Wildling Press in January 2024. After you bought Tina's book, follow me online at Leels for Reels. Our theme music was produced by Sakura Wishes. And our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Follow Michael on Instagram at RoyGDiv or check out his work at wildlingpress.com. Thanks for listening, friends. See you next time. Dave X Media.